Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, we pray your blessing upon your word this morning. We pray that your word would transform us, that your word would impact our lives, that your word would create in us a new heart, that our pursuit and priorities would be according to the real guidelines of your commandments, that we might take shape and, and be en route to the things that are loftier than the natural things, the earthly things, the temporal things, that we're being prepared for an everlasting kingdom, that we're being prepared for a reality that is not transitory and temporal, but it's eternal and permanent, and that you're forging a character useful that we not be ashamed at your appearing, that we know how to measure according to the right divide of the boundaries and weights and, and measure of your word as you prepare us for the things that are to come. We pray that our children would be the beneficiaries of parents that are making this a reality and not just a, reality, a religion, not just a Sunday church thing. We pray that your presence continue to forge Christ in us and allow us to be transformed in that which you desire and take pleasure in. That we would deny ourselves that it not be our will, but thine be done. That you be glorified and that you raise up a church in these days that would be according to your measure, stature, and fullness. And that the substance of this reality is tangible, it's transferable, and impacts the lives of those that are around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. This month, consider June, is the month of gay pride. And I was, I was nearly in shock that our government officials, uh, the mayor, Xavier Suarez Jr., would come out in a bold representation of, the, of, of what's being celebrated as gay pride uh, with a rainbow banner across his chest thinking he's championing something that benefits the city because the elements of what an expression of transgender and pursuing the pride of sin that God has called and executed judgment against. It makes you wonder if after 12 months of shutting down the world through COVID, this would be our response. And to stand and, and spite God in an expression that, that celebrates that which God finds deplorable. And so I, I have many friends that work for uh, companies for the state, for the government, and they say when they jumped on their computers at the beginning of this month, 
all over their computers was the celebration of the pride of this. I'm, I'm going to read it because uh, I think it's important that while the world is, is parading this celebration, they, they've declared June as the month to honor the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer, LGBTQ. They set aside the month of June to celebrate in honor of something that happened a while back in 1969. There was an uprising in New York, Manhattan, called the Stonewall Uprising. And it's considered as the tipping point of gay liberation when police officers walked into a gay bar and, and, and threw up a ruckus of animosity and violence against the gay community. So because it happened in June of 1969, now June is considered the month that we're going to celebrate um, gay liberation or the expression of pride parades, picnics, workshops, symposiums to attract millions of participants around the world during an entire month for those who have been victims of hate crimes. The purpose of the month is to recognize the impact that the lesbian, gay, and bisexual, transgender individuals have had on history, locally, nationally, internationally. So this is what your kids are going to be raised up to celebrate. And it's being celebrated so much that friends of mine, their children are saying, you know something? I'm going to move in this wave and I'll be the first one in my house to declare that I'm gay or that I'm bisexual or that I'm transgender. And so... That doesn't concern me that the world is lost and confused and in darkness. They're, they're having the fruits that are not consistent with the Spirit of God. The influence of that celebration is so much so um, that it's pressing upon the, the opposite of what the Bible says. So I was, I forgot where I was, it was a couple of years ago, and I'm saying, I don't think God has an issue with this trans stuff. The trans talks about transition, and what the Bible says is that we're being called to be transitioned according to Romans 12. Verse 1, where Paul is writing to the church, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, talking to the house of God, through God's mercy, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer yourself up to God. It's our reasonable service. This should be like a no-brainer. Our life was a mess without God, and now with God, it belongs to God. And he says in verse 2, as we present our bodies to God, don't be 
conform to the world, but be trans. Not transgender, transformed. Don't allow a wicked spirit to move you in the direction of your destruction. Don't allow a spirit of rebellion to be greater than the spirit of obedience. So the trans is a transformation. So if somebody tells you, are you against trans? You say, no, I'm for it. Because God calls us to be trans. And he's like, really? Yeah, transformed into the image of Christ. Another direction. So with all due respect, mayor of the city of Miami, quit being a coward. Stand up for your city and transform it that in such a way that the blessings of God will fall upon Miami. That the favor of God will fall upon the cities. Don't be a politician. Don't raise up the standard of sin in your city. But the Bible says that sin will destroy a city. And so if, if for the judgment of God who says that the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. He's not going to stand with his arms crossed watching you walk contrary to his pleasure. The world is lost. The church cannot be lost. The church has to have an answer. I remember sitting at a closing as a lawyer and every opportunity was an opportunity to to answer for the hope that was in us. So the, the lady across the, the lady across, she was some bogus yoga, meditating, God knows what. But she wanted to challenge me and she says, you don't believe in meditation? And all I know about meditation is that it opens up your spirit to be demon possessed. So at the moment, I was about to say, no, I don't believe in that stuff. That opens you up, that yoga, all that stuff opens you up to be inhabited by evil spirits. So if you do yoga, you, you've been told by your pastor that all you're doing, repeating this, these, this language, because the yoga pants are, 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 are being sold everywhere. Yoga's, you, you come and do yoga with your dog. Come and do yoga with your friends at the park. And so all I knew about meditation was evil. And she says, you, you don't believe in meditation, do you? And I was going to say, no, that's straight from the pit of hell. But all of a sudden I remembered Psalm 1. And he says, he meditates on God's law day and night. I said, of course I believe in meditation. On God's word day and night. So that everything I do prospers. So I'd be like a tree planted next to the waters that give forth fruit in its season and his leaf will not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. So the devil has taken all these things where they're being proud and boasting in their sin but we don't see Christians doing this. We, we don't see people standing up and boasting in the Lord and showing forth the glory of God. So that being said, 
as this month is taking place, we're called as the people of God to be transformed. Let's go to that again. We're there at Romans 12, verse 2, being transformed by renewing your mind. So if your mind is full of junk, you move in the direction of the junk your mind is on. And so you're turning into whatever the substance is of that sentiment, that influence. And then you'll be able to know what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So this transformation is a reality in Proverbs 23, 7. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so I'm thinking, if our children don't have a greater influence at home than they do at their school or in their workplace or in their songs, um, I'm asking God that there be such a people upon the earth whose lives will transcend their words. As everybody tells you nowadays, they, they, go to, they go to church and they're a Christian, but their lives are not consistent with impressing those that are around them. And, and we only have a short period of time here upon the earth to impact our families, our children, our grandchildren with the realities of God. There's no one sitting at the doors of the house of God making sure what's going on in the traffic of what comes in and what goes out. Your best day, your best day in the house of God is that you would be rebuked for living such a, a contrary life. I'll tell you a real story that happened in this church about 10 years ago. So 15 years ago, a family comes in to this church and the Lord restores the marriage and restores the home and they have a couple of more children and they sit here for 10 years. Then 10 years later, they start becoming indifferent to God and the world becomes stronger. And I'm looking at this happen under my watch. They're coming to church, they're restored, God has renewed them. Now they have an incredible future. The kids are, are celebrating the visitation of God upon the house, but the parents begin to drift back, drift back, drift back, and they're living a life. They come to church, but, but they are not the church. They come to church, but outside of the church, they continue to live like in the world. And I'm watching this in the house of God, and I say, look, if I let these people stay here, their four children are going to think that the church is a conspire, is a contributory participant of the backsliding of their parents. And they're going to think the church didn't do anything for our parents because look how they're living like the world lives. So I called the man and I called his wife and I said, listen, you guys are no longer welcomed in the house of God. You're no longer, those, those doors are not open to you no more because you're allowing your children to think 
that the church is just as wicked as you are. If you continue to be allowed to come to church, living like you live, your children, four of them, are going to think that you're the substance of what the church is made of. And you're not. So you're no longer welcomed here. Now you know what people do if you tell them that, right? What do they tell you? Big deal. We just go down the street. And there's another church that's going to let us in. But to your demise, to your loss, I said, listen, as your pastor, I'm willing to go to your house every week until you come to the place that you understand what the church is all about and until you rise to that reality and level. And so the wife says to her husband, let's leave this place. We don't need them. We'll just go down the street. And thank God for a husband who said, are you insane? Where are we going to go that's going to hold us to God's standard? Where are we going to go that they're not going to care about how much money we give? Because in some churches, if you give money... You're the greatest saint that ever lived. And you're going to hell with your pastor. So for an entire year, that family was outside of the church with their children. And I went every week with my wife and sometimes with my children. And a year later, they came back to the house of God. But the big thing is not that they came back to the house of God. The big thing is that their four kids knows that this place is a serious place. That's the greatest thing that happened. That they saw the house of God as the place where God's discipline was good. And that God was not going to allow people to play religion. So the greatest thing that could happen to any family is to receive the discipline of the Lord. And so even this Friday at youth group, I asked another family that they weren't welcomed here no more. I said, you can't come back because I refuse to be part of how you curse your children to think that the house of the Lord is open for somebody who's outwardly full-blown rebellious and disrespectful. And I said, don't worry, when your son grows up, I'll explain to him why you were not allowed in the house of the Lord. So that he knows that the church is not a part of your disaster, of your twistedness. So the churches are not doing that today across the spectrum, the landscape. They're letting everybody in, they let everybody out. Everybody in, everybody out. And this man had the wherewithal to not repent and not say, God have mercy on me. He says, there's people in your church that are worse than me. I go, yeah, but they're not pastors. And you're a pastor. You have a higher standard, higher measure. So until you repent, you're not welcome to bring your kid here and to act and let him think that everything is right. Let him think that everything is normal. 
letting think that there's no standard in the house of God. And so that's where we're living nowadays. And I just want to speak into that a little bit. The Bible says in Colossians 3 verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. There's, there's an actual deluge of the consequences of living in disobedience. And so nowadays we, we hear a lot about the mercy of God, the love of God, but we don't have a clue about the wrath of God. In other words, would you even know that God is not looking at you in a sentiment of pleasure, giving you a thumbs up for where you are and where you ought to be. God is not going to live complacently allowing you to forsake the call of God upon your life. That there's actually something God wants to do through you that will impact this generation for his glory. But if you're not in a place where you're hearing the voice of God, if there's not the spirit of the Lord convicting you of unrighteousness, if there's not some influence, some heavenly influence that moves you in the direction of God, you, without knowing, will be the objects and the vessels of his wrath. And, and so I don't know what the entirety of this is, but I know that the New Testament, the, the dispensation of grace is talking about the wrath of God. The sentiment of God's displeasure. When we talked last a couple of weeks ago about I am a jealous God, it was talking about I'm a God who gets red in the face when you are raising up an idol before me. He says, I'm a jealous God. You're to have no idol before me. He says, I get red in the face. I, I don't know if you know someone like that. I know some of you guys are pale face. And in two seconds, I can tell when you are blowing your top. And you get red in the face of displeasure. And so God says like that, the wrath of God upon the sons of disobedience. And you say, who are these people? Who is the wrath of God coming upon the sons of disobedience? Colossians 3, 7. Because you yourselves once walked. In which you yourself once walked when you lived in this scenario. When you were when you were living this lifestyle that brought God's displeasure. I, I know human beings are no fools. You could stand there behind the rainbow and you could act like God doesn't exist. And you could act like he's not a wrathful, vengeful, jealous God. And pretend that you're just going with the flow of political preference and popularity. You're not going to mock God. You're not going to be able to parade in your sin. And if you ever get into the atmosphere where you think that, that moving under those clouds is inconsequential, it just doesn't have any results. It doesn't have any consequences. I love the fact that when you're being diligent about seeking God, he says, I will reward you. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That means there's going to be something coming upon you that is going to be 
apparent and visible. The Gentiles will see the glory upon you. And they will be attractive by what they see. Ephesians 2 verse 1 he made them alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. There, there's actually evidence that once we were dead and going in the flow of death, death style, and now there's a lifestyle because we've been revived in Christ. There's something different about being alive who were dead in trespasses and sin and it continues on to describe this in verse 2, in which you once walked according to the current of the world. It, it, it's, listen to me. There are some people that don't understand this message. It's so revolutionary. It's like, Pastor, are you asking me to get fired from my work? Is that what you're trying to say? I said, no. I think you could be light in your work. I think that your lifestyle and the way you live would be so contagious that you could, your life would, would, would work to rejuvenate, regenerate, and revive those that walk in the realm of your influence. I, I walked into a, a TV studio about five years ago. They invited me to do an interview, and, and this was it, whatever it's worth, however it's worth, Creflo Dollar was buying a $62 million airplane. You guys remember that? And it was on all the news, and it was all, and they were like bringing up a, so they invite Pastor Molina to do an interview, to ask him the question, what do you think about a pastor that's buying a $62 million jet? Making fun of pastors. I said, I'll take that on, let's go and ask me the question. And so I get there, and they put me in the VIP room. You know, it's the green room. It's where the, the, the people they interview, they're going to be in that room. And I sit down, and there's a guy there, and everybody in the green room wants to know who's there and why they're there. And they must be of some type of celebrity or influence because they're going to be viewed on this television station, on this program. And so I sat there, and you know, I'm not going to sit there to, to, to mess around. I'm there on assignment. And the guy says, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I turn men into champions. And he goes, what's that mean? I said, yeah, I wrote a book called What is a Man? And here's a copy of it. And his girlfriend was sitting right next to him, and she happened to be a helicopter pilot. An impressive woman. She used to take people to the, the drilling sites off land where they have, like, big and they she what are they called rigs yeah so so the rigs and she used to fly the people on and off the rig on her helicopter so i, I that was fascinating as a woman and she's the girlfriend of this guy who's 50 years old their boyfriend and girlfriend like junior high and as soon as i started saying i make men champions and i wrote a book and it teaches men how to she immediately threw him under bus, the bus and she says, he needs your book. That was automatic. She wasn't beating around the bush. She was like, listen, here is your next candidate. So he grabs the book and starts looking at it. And he says, it's religious. 
Because they want to pigeonhole you in the fact that this has no importance because it's religious. I said, no, my friend, it's reality. That if you don't know how to be a man, you're going to have a very discontent woman right next to you. As I'm saying these words, the producer of the program comes in. He's 30, 35 years old. And he comes in and he says, if what I'm hearing you say is true, what are you going to do about my dad? And I said, what's wrong with your dad? He says, and this was like, it, it just came out of him because you wouldn't do this. He says, my dad just left my mom, my sister, and me for another man. This is real. And no one's going to talk about this in the green room right before going on the set. But, but everything is boiling over to the subject of the conversations that need be had and not be these little scurrying Christians going, oh, there's a rainbow. Oh, there's a rainbow. <laughs> no, what you have is greater than the rainbow. What you have is the hope of glory. And so without a heartbeat and without blinking an eye, I said, young man, what I have is so powerful. It's more contagious and lethal than the Ebola virus. And if your dad was anywhere around what I have, this would jump on him. And he would be able to champion his marriage with your mom and your family. Because light is greater than darkness. And if darkness is prevalent, it's not that it's more powerful. It's that there's no light. There's nothing shining. And so I told him without any mix of words that if his father came across the spirit of God that's upon us, that effeminate, homosexual, pride spirit would go back to hell where it came from. That which destroys family and marriage and mankind and manhood and womanhood. And unfortunately, a lot of these people that are walking in darkness do not have they, they have parents that say they're Christians. They have parents that go to church, that read the Bible, but have no substance of the spirit that transforms. When a drug addict comes in and is set free, it's not because of a program. It's because of a spirit that's greater than the spirit that is holding people captive. When light comes, it doesn't ask for permission for darkness to leave. Darkness cannot withstand light. And so our Christ and our truth and our presence that we walk around in, if in fact, and I tell people all the time, your Christianity wouldn't give anybody even a cough. What you have cannot be caught because you have nothing. There's nothing to be contagious about being around you because you don't have the spirit of the Lord that God wants to pour out in full measure. 
So I, I don't want to be, I, I don't want to be parading something that's not real. But when we see the life of a young man like Jonathan, that's what the world needs. They need that spirit. Your children need that spirit. Your grandchildren need that spirit. But they can't catch it if you don't have enough of that presence in you to impact the lives of those that are closest to you. First, your family. First, yourself. Then your marriage. Then your family. Then your children. Extended family. There needs to be a revival on every end in this reality. Not if you are walking like the world walks. The Bible says the... Ephesians 2.2, 2, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. Now, all manner of people attending the church and have zero spirit of the Lord calling you to obedience. Among also, verse 3, we all once conducted ourselves. How is this? In the lust of the flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Pursuing the things of the mind. In this disposition, we were naturally children of wrath. Just as the others. The, the normalcy of the world is to walk without God, pompous of sin, pride and arrogant of walking against the instruction of God. I was saying last night, a gentleman came in here a couple years ago and he heard these things and they, it just floored him. So when I went outside and I was greeting the people as they're leaving the church, he says, I can't believe what you were saying. And he says, I don't understand what you don't believe. I guess that makes you an unbeliever. They told me this was a gay-friendly church. That's why I came. And I said, we are friendly. Come and give me a hug. I want you to feel that, that there's a befriending. And, and he smiled and he was like, I can't believe. You know, I, I thought there was supposed to be hostility and animosity. No, there's not. There's, there's a call to repentance. It doesn't matter if you're gay or straight. You need to repent. You're not some subdivision of humankind where you don't need to repent. The Bible says all have sinned. And he tells everyone in every place to repent. So the message is not different. And because you're gay or proud or lesbian, or otherwise, the same as your message, repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your self-pleasure, seeking your own. Because that makes you in the nature of Satan, who refuses to repent, does not want to turn, has no appetite to please God and to be convicted. So repentance to all, no subsection, no subdivision. And he says to me, so why is it that you guys hold this standard? I said, it's the standard of God because he wants you as a man to procreate and have children and be a father and have a family and enjoy life as he designed it. And I gave it the whole, the whole thing to him. It wasn't stop being gay because I'm upset because I'm the religious right. No, there's a father in heaven 
You're a prodigal child. You've run away from the father's house. Come back. Repent. Start doing the first works that he wanted in your manhood, in your womanhood, in your mothering, fathering, husbandry, wisdom. The devil makes you hate these things so that you conform and distort yourself into an image that's not what God created, not what God wanted. So after I had those words with the gentleman, he left, but he didn't know that the wages of sin are death. It has nothing to do with politics or popularity or self-expression. The devil is seeking whom he may devour. And this man hung himself six months later. It was the highest incident of suicide and murder is amongst the gay community. Those that are walking in the nature of sin, Satan. And, and so it says it right there. And there, there is no issue. Um, we continue to read Ephesians 2. Fulfilling the, verse 3, fulfilling the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the passions of the flesh. Nature, by nature, are children of wrath. But, but look what the message is in verse 4. But God, who's rich in mercy... Because of his great love, which he loved us. See, the love of God does not allow you to continue in your sin and darkness and rebellion. But the love of God, rich in mercy, has come to impact your life and to trans, not gender, but transform by the renewing of your mind. You think different, you'll speak different. You speak different, you'll live different. And so if it hadn't been for the grace of God, we who come from darkness, how many come from darkness? Raise your hand. I could tell every single one of you. And if you're not, you're lying. We all come from darkness. Nobody's going to tell us a story about darkness. We've been there and we've done that. We know the wages of sin is death. We know darkness doesn't lead to light. We know rebellion makes us in the nature of sin to miss out what God has for us. We know these things. You're not going to try and convince us that that lifestyle or that expression becomes a joyful existence. Um, it says, because of his great love and mercy, which he loved us, even when we were in darkness and trespassing, he made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up together. He's given us another seat to sit upon. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show exceedingly riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through his son. The, the church needs to be a reality and not an information center. The floodgates of wickedness have been wide open. They, they've been turned on. People have lost their moral compass. People don't know what right or wrong is. To be able to tell that TV producer that we have the substance to turn the tide of debauchery and wickedness in his dad's heart because the presence of the Spirit of God is more excellent. It leaves a legacy for a thousand generations. It's able to walk in the substance of the things God has provided. Now, I, I just want to say for those of you that are sitting on the fence, 
and I, I believe this is how I'm going to finish today. There is a spiritual address in eternity called the outer darkness. In Spanish, it's called tinieblas de afuera. And it's reserved for Christians that don't toe the line. And no one has told us that this address exists. It's a spiritual address outside of the kingdom of God called the outer darkness reserved for Christians who don't shine. For Christians who refuse to toe the line of God's calling upon our life. And, and I have, as a pastor, I've never done this. I've been preaching for 28 years, and I have never given this address. I want you to know that it exists, and that some of you are destined to go there unless you turn up your light in this world. So here it is. Matthew chapter 8, verse 12. But the children of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of the teeth. You imagine that you who were called to go to heaven, you who were invited to enter in the gates to the presence of God, find yourself being cast out into a place called utter darkness. And there the atmosphere is not joy and peace and celebration. It's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, I don't even know if you know what gnashing of teeth meant. If you've ever been in an area where you are scared out of your wit, your physical body begins to chatter your teeth. It's only happened to me once, I think, in my lifetime that I was so scared that my teeth started clamoring back and forth because the atmosphere and the climate were not safe. It only happened to me once in, on the earth here. I, I don't even recall the incident. But I remember my teeth were, were, sh were, were shaking. It's almost like when you get out of a cold pool and you like that. But this is not because it's cold. This is because it's fearful. And it's an actual place. And I want you to always remember it as an address in eternity where you do not want to go. And it might be the case that you said, well, I'm not going to hell. I applaud you. But you still haven't made it if you think Christ has called you to live a normal mundane christian life that doesn't exert influence on the outside to impact your world and so he says that in that time matthew 22 13 jesus tells a parable about a man who comes to a wedding but he's not dressed appropriately so he's there in this place and he's confronted by the king who has invited him, and the question is, 
how did you think you could come into this environment without the proper garment? You thought you could come in however you want? You know what? Somebody deceived you. And this is why I love the fact that we've given this challenge to men. Because it doesn't matter the man I talk to. When I say God called you to be a champion, he wants to know how to get there and he's going for it. As we say, you're either a champion, a chump, or a chimp. Either a monkey or you're a not aspiring or you're championing your call to live for God. And so when you give these men the understanding, they're like, I'm getting out of here. And, and, and understanding this, where it says in verse 11, but when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have the appropriate wedding garments. Now, whatever you want to say, this church for the, you, you guys know your pastor came from the world. He came from darkness and there was no semblance of boundaries I would keep in any direction. I didn't have any boundaries and I was rebellious. So I broke every rule and every parameter and every expression and, and full of lawlessness and wickedness. Now you come to the kingdom, there has to be some expression that you are entering in to not doing what you want. And in this church, tucking your shirt in is the most basic level of denying your taste poppy life. Yeah, you look cool with the shirt on the outside, but to show you're not doing what you want, you put your shirt on the inside. And somebody like Pastor Richie Ray, who's 76, and he says, for the last 25 years, I haven't been able to tuck my shirt in because I've gone a little bit wide. But he's 76, and when he joined this church two years ago, he says, Pastor, I'm going for the mark of the high price of the call of Christ Jesus, and I'm putting this shirt inside. I'm wearing a belt. And that's a heart that is welcome in the kingdom of God. He's 76. He doesn't have to listen to anybody. But he's showing forth the spirit of Christ to deny himself. While there's some people here who've been here 20 years, they're only 30 years old, and they would never find it distasteful to tuck their shirt in to honor the kingdom, to honor this house, to honor their pastor, to walk different than the world. And I know it's not an imposition of legalism. It's just a demonstration of reverence, respect, honor. And so we have some rebellious women here. who say, my children are not going to look like they belong to the kingdom. They got to look like the world. They got to be cool. You know, spike their little hair up, moose it up. When, when Nick was 12 years old, he says, Dad, now I'm going to do whatever I want because now I'm, I'm growing up. I'm going to choose what I'm going to look like. And he went like that, boop. And he spiked his hair up. And in those days, many years ago, uh, Ricky Martin was living La Vida Loca. And he spiked his hair and he impacted a whole generation. And everybody was like. And so when a pastor's son sees, and I was like, how do I tell him without breaking his spirit? that we need to deny ourselves. We need to walk different, not because we're religious, 
because there has to be some semblance of a call to higher ground. So I waited for a moment, and then it was appropriate the moment, appropriate the time, and I said, Nick, come over here. He's 12. And I said, Nick, do you know who we follow? And he says, yeah, his name is Jesus. I said, Nick, you know what was incredible about Jesus' life? He says, yeah, that I know that one. He said, not my will, thine be done. He denied himself. I goes, yeah. I said, Nick, do you think your dad denies himself? Do you think I follow the man and I, I live like not doing what I want, when I want, where I want? He goes, yeah, dad, you just left your law practice. And I know you wanted to continue. So I know you're not doing what you want. And I said, Nick, I'm going to ask you that just like Jesus didn't do what he wants, just like your dad is not doing what he wants, that you, I know, want to, I'm going to ask you to put that thing down. Get rid of that in your life. Don't do what you want. And this huge teardrop welled up in his eyes. And he says, okay, dad. And so he stands up here, now he's 26, and right before his wedding, he says these words. He says, listen, people, let me tell you something. I have spent 26 years of my life not doing what I want. And look at the glory of God. Look at the glory of God. And you know, you know that when we live for God being the sons of God, not parading our sin, but in humility and repentance, denying ourselves to see God, that this world is going to be impacted. That's the reality we're going for. So that we can pass down to our generations some semblance of order, of respect. This, this, this address here, this, let's go read that again. Matthew 22, 11. I want to finish quick. When the king came in and the guests, and he saw a man there who did not have on his wedding garments. So he said to him, verse 12, hey, my friend, there's the friendliness. He gave friendly. Yeah, we're friends, of course. But you're about to be escorted to the outer court, to the, to the outer darkness. Hey, my friend, come here. How did you come into this place without the proper wedding garments? Listen, some of you are going to have his same response. The Bible says he was speechless. I love what happened this weekend. One of the men got here about four years ago. His family was destroyed. His marriage was destroyed. His children were destroyed. Just the, the, the devastation of darkness and sin and the rebellion. So all of a sudden he comes to the Lord and God is building him back up. And so he had a, his daughter was two, almost a year and a half, two years old. Now she was turning six. So he had a birthday party for his daughter. And so he invites his ex-wife over to the party and, and, and the family and the friends and the church and, and he's, he's going to do a party for Gabby on Thursday. And he says like this, he says, I, I, I was there, my ex-wife is there, everybody's there. And then all of a sudden, I remembered what you said four years ago when I first came. When I first came in, I didn't know how to be a man. I didn't know how to be a husband. I didn't know how to be a father. You told me, that as a father of the house, you need to lead your home and direct the activities so that your family benefits from your leadership. Because before, his wife would look at him and he was like, mm. 
And he would just cry and fall apart. He had no leadership, he had no substance. He, he wasn't attractive to his wife. So he says this week on Thursday, it was the same party now, four years later, now that there's a divorce, everything's coming up, but everybody's together there. And he says, I remembered what you said four years ago, that the man has to provide direction for the benefit and the blessing of his home. And when I remembered those words you told me four years ago, I said, I got to get to what I, a man does. And he goes like this, hey, everybody, we're cutting the cake now. <laughs> he didn't want to miss his mark. He didn't want to miss his moment. So when he did that, his ex-wife says, what? The guy's actually doing something. And, 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 and he, he tells me the story later. He says, pastor, I remember those words four years ago. And I just stood up and I did like what you said, you know, and my wife was looking at me. She was looking for a wimp, and she saw a champion. She was looking for somebody who had no spirit of God and now is filled with the spirit of God, a son of obedience, a son of submission, a son of honor. Guess what? He says like this. I said, well, then how did that happen? How'd you do that? He says like this, because now there's a father in this family. There's a father in this house now. A guy who directs his family in the way they ought to go. That's different. It's different. So I know that when God addresses this guy, he's speechless. This is becoming the everlasting gospel, Bishop. <laughs> there's no end to it. So in eternity, there's people that find themselves, they're not, they're not appropriating themselves of the garments. You're not doing stuff on this side of eternity. Don't pretend you get an automatic entry on the other side. So he said to him, my friend, you're not dressed properly. He was speechless. Verse 13. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want to tell you that that's not the place you belong. The Bible is replete with people being cast into the outer darkness Make a, a huge difference in the way you are living your life. Make, make an impact in your world. Represent the gospel appropriately. Bring revival to your home. Bring the spirit of the Lord. Bring, bring the impact that is supposed to happen because you are the light, because you are the church, because you belong to God. And I, I can only see, and the Bible says, deeper darkness is coming but not, not around me. Not around me. Wherever I am, the presence of God is. Yesterday, we celebrated Rosie's 50th anniversary. Birthday. Soon, 50th anniversary. Rosie turned 50 tomorrow, my sister-in-law. And we spoke words of blessing. We, we spoke the heart of God to the woman of God. That she, 50 is, is the year of Jubilee. Bringing people out of prison, canceling debt, bringing them to a new beginning, a new, a new start. Absolutely declared all that upon her life. A, a lot of the women there were saying, we're looking forward to 50 now. And before they were like, no, we're not. But 50 is not Botox and, and plastic surgery. 50 is the spirit of the Lord because the Pentecost is 50. It's a day of the outpouring of the spirit of God. And there's nothing more attractive than being a woman filled with the spirit of God than what this world has to offer in their craziness. 
Make sure your wife is filled with the Spirit of God. Make sure you're a husband that is pouring out from the abundance of what's in your life. It's, it's splashing over to her. And you're, you're, you're raising up the standard. You're having revival in your home. You're seeing God's work, His revival, and His Spirit in your lives. Father, thank you for being in the house of God today. Thank you for being spurred to good works through your Holy Spirit. And as the days grow evil, Lord, we continue to pile into the house of God, to hear the voice of God, the Spirit of God, to walk in this world as the men, women, families of God. Our children are different. They have a different standard, a different pursuit, different priorities because they see their father and their mother serving a living and true fire-consuming God. Lord, that wrath not come upon us, that we be delivered by your grace, by your goodness, that the outer darkness is not an address that we're concerned about, but we want to sit at your table and serve you at your feet and be dressed with the garments of praise, the garments of righteousness, the garments that reveal an outward reality of an inward communion and fellowship. Bless your church, Lord. Allow us to be your people in these last days, not to be confounded by darkness, but Father, that we might confound darkness with your light, with the wonders of your glory, the attractions of your spirit, the realities of a sound mind when so many are celebrating darkness and sin and wrath. We pray that you, we might be delivered, that we might be your people, that we press in to serve you with excellence and to give you the best of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray and the house of God says, amen, amen, and amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord. Tomorrow we'll be here Monday night men's group at eight o'clock. God bless you.